Welcome to episode 14 of the Make It Stack podcast, which aims to demystify the world of saving and investing for young people. I am your host, Will Waterhouse. So in this episode, I speak with Wes and Josh, also known as Investing with Wes and Clench Your Finance, respectively, on Instagram. Both Wes and Josh are self-proclaimed value investors who look to buy direct shares in companies who they believe are at discounts to their true intrinsic value. Buying the dip is something that definitely comes naturally to them and they have developed some punchy positions. We also talk about their own investment journeys, the future of Alibaba and Chinese equities, the YouTube channel Everything Money, the importance of stock watch lists and much more. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hey Wes, can you hear me? Oh yeah, I can hear you now, yeah. (laughs) You alright? Yeah, yeah, good. is your is your camera on, Wes? I can't see you. I can only see. Oh, John. I can see him. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, I don't have like the multiple screen things on Zoom. Uh, that's oh. uh, yeah, guys. Uh, thanks so much for making this happen. Um, yeah, that's right. So, so basically, I, I reached out to Wes and uh, asked to see if he wanted to do a podcast in there, and I got got Josh on as well. So two for the price of one, I guess. Um, absolutely. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's, uh, it's absolutely awesome to have you on. Um, I just thought it would be good for each of you individually to just kind of just give yourself a brief introduction and talk about what you're doing at the moment. Well, you go first, Wes. Okay, so at the minute I am working in retail and I also invest on the side, really. That's pretty much it. Yeah, awesome. Um, Yeah, so math student in my final year, um, also invest on the side. Um, following sort of a value investing approach, um, so investing in companies which I believe are below um, trading their intrinsic value. Yeah, um, so. I'm exactly the same way in terms of my investing approach. So yeah, me and Josh, we pretty much like think the same way in terms of how we analyze stocks and buy them. Yeah, so um, j- j- just just on that, um, from looking at your account, where's uh, yeah. I'm just I'm just so impressed by your level of conviction in terms of the holdings that you have. Um, and I was looking at your previous post where you disclosed your ISA breakdown, and yeah. uh, I, I probably won't get the figures right, but you only have something like eight or eight or nine stocks, something in there, and there's some pretty punchy double-digit allocations in there to direct equities. And I just think that's so interesting, given how much is being said about passive funds. Yeah, um, yeah. At the minute, I own about um, seven stocks in my ISA and around three in my investing account. And these are companies that I find that are really undervalued, and they're just great business in in general. Yeah, and so in terms of how you decide to buy a stock and get so such a high conviction on it, what what is your kind of starting point like? Where where do you where do you go to source the information? What kinds of sources do you go to, and and what's the kind of process to get from the starting point to actually placing or well, pulling the trigger and and uh, and investing investing your cash in that? Okay, so the first thing I normally do is um, I would analyze the company's fundamentals. So first I look at its P/E ratio, 
Um, I look at its revenue growth, its net income growth. Um, I look at its free cash flow growth, um, its price to free cash flow growth, and um, shares outstanding is another one. And they don't exactly have to tick everything. It just tells the story in terms of like where the business is currently. And if if the story is pretty good, I then conduct a an analysis in terms of what price I want to buy the stock at. And if the stock is fairly undervalued, um, I'll I'll just add it to my watch list, and then I'll um, look at what the business is about, really, like in terms of what it sells, what it does, how it operates. And if I could understand the business, that's when I would buy the stock if it's actually undervalued. And um, I'll start small in ter in terms of position. I'll start small, then eventually I'll build up my position, and that's pretty much it. But if the stock is overvalued, um, I just add it to my watch list and just wait for it to come down because we as value investors just look for certain events that will bring the share price down. And when it does, that's where we have the conviction to buy the stock. And if it keeps falling, we need to have the guts to keep buying as it goes down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, 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 that sounds like a really good overview. And, uh, and Josh, I mean, from my understanding, you have a very similar investment philosophy to Wes in, in that you're a value investor. You know, do you want to just give a quick overview as to how you how you decide to invest in a particular company, and also just talk through your own portfolio as well? Like any any interesting things to note there? Yeah, of course. So I talk over my portfolio first. Um, so my journey as an investor has been quite mm, uh, drastic, if you will. So I've gone from having sort of like 10, 20, 30 companies. Um, now I actually own three, it, which is quite a ballsy. Um, approach and certainly it's a risky one which I appreciate however the reason in doing so I only own three is because in the current market you know I'm looking at all these stocks and it's so bloody overvalued um, if you look at the Buffett indicator for instance you know the stock market is worth 276 percent more than the GDP of the United States you know right. it's crazy so that makes me fearful so I'm only investing in three companies which I personally believe are you know really 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 good value which is intel alibaba and baidu um and yeah likewise if i see a company i like so in my watch list so for example i've got oracle and lockhead martin personally i love both the companies and i love their valuations however i want to buy them slightly lower than what they're already priced at so they're in my watch list if they go past my target then i'll buy them to to and add them to my portfolio. Yeah. But yeah. And so, yeah. and so, how how long have you been sort of investing in, in the market, Josh? I mean, like, I guess um, you're, so. You're, you're very, very sort of early into the game because I mean, where I'm coming from, mm. I feel like a lot of people don't invest until they're they're actually in a full time job because obviously you you need to be saving money, you know, before before you can invest really. But so, like, what, what? Yeah, exactly. what's your story? So I was rather quite fortunate. So obviously, um, my brother, um, he gave me the book Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, famous. Yeah. And obviously when COVID happened, you know, I had Jackal to do and I just like picked the book up, you know, brushed off the dust and I was completely enlightened. Um, and at the time I just picked up a um, job at Morrison's, you know, whilst yeah. I was off uni. And I literally picked up every overtime shift I could and got all that money invested into the stock market to sort of, you know, start my position and sort of start my you know journey if you will financially 
um, sort of COVID was a blessing in that sense. Mm. But I've been investing now. It was May, no, April 2020. So just over a year and a bit. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's amazing how I feel like a lot of people start off doing something incredible by just picking up a book. It's just lying around. Like it's quite funny. So my my uh, I mean we're kind of going a bit off top of investing, but my 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 uncle had a bit of time off work like twenty years ago, and my auntie bought him a book on I think it was the First World War or something, and he picked it up, started reading it when he was off work, and like he just became absolutely engrossed in the whole concept, and ended up going over into Belgium and France like with a metal detector to try and find different artifacts. So yeah, it's it's uh, no, it's it's so fortunate that you've kind of been almost enlightened because I mean yeah. where I'm coming from like I'm super passionate about um you know demystifying the world of investing for for young people and I think mm. not a lot not a lot really is, is done in the conventional education system and school absolutely because yeah. I did I did economics at uni and nothing was said and it was it was only really until I got a job uh for a for a sort of investment platform that I started to like find out about this stuff but no, it's it's so good to see that you've that you've yeah you've been you've been enlightened and, and you're sort of making headway. It's it's mad how it happens. But. Yeah, yeah. But um, for me, I've been investing for about almost two years now, actually. So yeah, I've had a journey in terms of like the style I want to invest in. So at the beginning, um. All I invested was pretty much stocks that crashed like during the March COVID crash. And I, I did fairly well, but then I was I felt that I was missing something in terms of a process. So that's when I started to try and find a better way in terms of like how do the best do it. And then I found value investing and it pretty much clicked straight away. And ever since then, um, I haven't looked back really. But with value investing, it's just it's a lot of it's, you have to be disciplined really in terms of like how you invest because while others are making money then you you have to be prepared to just sit there and wait because over a long period of time you're going to do well yeah absolutely i mean what what both of you have mentioned so far which has actually clicked with me and something that i'm probably going to look to implement is to actually be more active in terms of having a watch list because yeah. you know at the end of the day as an as a value investor you're going to have to pass up on opportunities when a, when a company's at a certain price. And so having a watch list just means that you can just with one click of a button, just see all of your, all of your sort of, um, yeah. all of your stocks that you're looking at. And then you know when to, yeah, you know when to swing, swing for the fences as, as Warren Buffett would say and sort of go, go yeah. big on it. Um, so, so yeah, so um, I guess, do, do you have any, do you feel like throughout your entire sort of investing career so over the next decades do you feel like you're going to stick to this approach and sort of always go for direct equities or do you ever feel like you might stray into other asset classes or or maybe go more down the mutual fund route or passive like do you have any thoughts on that um i'm probably just going to stick with what i do for the minute really um i I feel fairly confident in the way i invest and yeah I i feel really confident with it to be honest like I don't really deviate in terms if I find a process, I just stick with it really. Yeah. And, and so Wes, how did you, how did you get into investing? And I think you started during like, just after COVID. Was that through your friends or like? How- um, to be honest, um, 
it's just something that I always wanted to do. But in terms of like, like pushing myself, I just like my cousin, he just said, um, just go and do it really. Like, cause I spoke to him a few times about investing cause he does investing. And he just told me, just go and do it. Like just learn. And eventually you're going to be learning really quick. Cause I usually have um, the whole day to myself because I work throughout the night. So I can spend the whole day just learning pretty much. And that's how I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, right now, in terms of my watch list, um, I have around three or four pages of watch lists in terms of what stocks I want to buy. Recently, I added Facebook. I think you used to own the um, Josh. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I'm, look, I'm waiting for that to get to at least 300 to start a position, then um, I would average down from there, really. But it's, it's a waiting game, to be honest. Yeah. And so, obviously, with with buying and selling equities, mm-hmm. um, I guess depending on the platform, you'll be incurring dealing commission, and that could potentially sort of eat into your returns. Do you both, both of you, do you want to sort of go through where you're holding your investments and how you kind of mitigate dealing commission? On, on your on your positions you go first josh um so yeah so all my stocks but by do i hold my isa um so that obviously that allows me to invest up to 20 grand per year which i won't do tax-free so that <laughs> exactly so you know it's the goal to, once yeah once you reach that 20 grand per year you know you've made it um <laughs> so what's brilliant about isas is obviously it's capital gains tax-free um i believe it's dividend tax free i Income could tax be wrong as well no you're correct you're correct um so yeah you know that's fantastic to have well, that loophole if you will um i don't know what the capital gains tax rate is for assets like such stocks i think it's 20 percent. i could be wrong yeah I don't it's know, high to be fair it's quite high but you know when you think about it, your money's compounding you know nine percent per year over a 40 year scale to take that massive hit through capital gains would be massive. You know, that's quite a blow. So obviously investing in ISA or Roth IRA, whatever, you know, it gives you such a huge advantage. Um, and regards to fees, I know trading two on two, the commission rate is so small, you know, it's like a couple of pence for, you know, several hundred pounds worth of stock. So it's not too much of an issue. Um, but no, an ISA is why I use and I always use. And so um, do you have all of your holdings with trading two on two then? Yeah, I do for the time being. Um, I do potentially want to sort of deviate more towards Vanguard, like, you know, and hold some more index funds once Actually. the market's more appropriately, appropriately valued. Just so like, because I know, is it the Financial Conduct Authority or something? You know, if trading two on two goes bust, you're insured by 80 grand i believe it is um yeah, yeah i so I, I know that's the case in terms of having money in a bank account I, I i think it can get slightly more complicated with investments uh yeah. so I, yeah i i wouldn't i wouldn't know on that i'm not sure no. if you, you've look, looked into that words but uh no i do no. plan to deviate a little bit but. Yeah. yeah yeah okay um for me um I recently moved all my stocks to an ISA account and I think two months ago because I wasn't aware of it to begin with when I started. So at the moment, I own seven stocks in my ISA and three in my investing, which 
they I can't actually buy them in my ISA because they're overseas investments and yeah that's pretty much it really and so um which which platform are you with wes at the moment um i'm with trading 212 as well right yeah okay i I feel like i might be quite archaic in my approach because i i i'm holding my investments with hargreaves lansdowne and uh i'm not sure if you know this but it's not very conducive to to equities trading because there's uh Mm -hmm. 11.95 uh per, per trade yeah. So yeah. I mean, and that that will just eat eat into returns. Um, I mean, I I think I ha- I did read about uh, these electronic, not electronic, these sort of up and coming trading platforms like Robinhood, and how yeah. potentially the the pricing when you place deals isn't that competitive. But I would, to be honest, with as if you're both in value, if you're both value investors, and you're going to be holding for the long term, I guess that's not really going to be an issue. <laughs> Uh, in terms of like missing out on a couple of basis points on on placing a, placing a deal, I think the good thing as well when you talk about Hargreaves um, is you have access to so many more markets. I believe, whereas trading two one two is very very limited. You know, yeah. so there is that. Yeah. So so the, the great thing about Hargreaves Lansdowne, which I've kind of realised, is that um, they they have a lot of different options when it comes to sort of index funds and ETFs and they've managed to negotiate pretty, pretty good um, ongoing charges. So, mm. so, I mean, I guess for you guys being value investors in direct equities might not be relevant, but uh, you can like tailor quite a, quite a fee efficient portfolio because they actually have a cap on the amount of fees you pay in a stocks and shares ISA uh, if you hold equity. So, so that includes ETFs uh, and investment trusts. So, so yeah, so from my perspective, I want to capitalize on that. But if mm-hmm. if in the future I want to yeah go down the value investing approach, I'd probably look to be honest down <laughs> trading two on two route just to, just to minimize dealing commission. Um, but again, it's probably something for me for me to ponder really. Mm. Okay, sorry, Carl. Oh yeah, I was just going to ask. So, um, what about you? How's what is your investing approach? Like, do you own index funds? Do you pick individual stocks? Like, what is your oh, approach? Um, yeah. So, so just to provide an intro on me. So, I I graduated in 2017, um, okay. and I I didn't I didn't really know anything about investing until my first job out of uni. Uh, so yeah. I invested uh, from late 2017. Um, and the reason for that was that I actually worked on the investment help desk at Hargreaves Lansdowne and we had to help clients navigate certain pages. And so I actually opened up an account just to help clients do that. Um, so I, I had no idea about the benefits of, of compound interest and financial freedom back then, but I guess that was yeah. quite a lucky, almost like a lucky, uh, yeah, a lucky development. But so yeah, um, at the moment, uh, I have all my assets with HL, uh, except for my workplace pension, which is with Aviva. Um, okay. And then in terms, of, in terms of the breakdown, I have around 25% uh, passive. Um, and then I, I have, so th- this is gonna sound awful to you guys, but about 50% <laughs> is in uh, actively managed funds. And I have the intention to basically reduce that weighting <clears throat> over time. Um, and then the remaining amount, so I think it's around 10%, is in, is in direct equities. Uh, so I'm currently in uh, Ocado, Beyond Meat, and Tesla, <laughs> uh, which, which uh, probably isn't much of a va- value kind of thing. 
What I will say there is that I did buy Tesla back in January 2018, so I'm up quite a bit. Okay. Um, I, wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't go it now. Um, no way. But yeah, no, so I mean, I, to be honest, I think from a factor perspective, I was very much growth tilted. And so like from mm-hmm. February this year, my portfolio has kind of gone sideways, really. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just like a good learning experience. And I think, I think just aligning your portfolio to, to intrinsic value and sort of just solid companies that have good underlying earnings that are going to, that have a large probability of increasing it over the future. That just, just makes so much sense. And uh, this, this opinion has only been reinforced by reading The Intelligence Investor by Ben Gray. I'm currently going through that now, which you guys have probably probably heard of or read. I'm going through it currently as well. It's, it's heavy. It's heavy, but, <laughs> but there's so much good stuff in it, isn't there? Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's amazing because it's like 50 years old and mm. oh, it's so relevant. It's yeah. crazy. I think it's older than that. Yeah, so I, so I think there was a second edition that was written. I think the first edition was in the late 40s, but the edition... Yes, was, that's it. Um, so it was, it was written um, in the early 70s. It was just before the, uh, the old price shock of 73. Um, but yeah, so obviously passive funds weren't really a thing. Um, and, and, uh, but, but, but in terms of, yeah, the fundamental analysis of, of securities, it's just, it's just so good. And it's just mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm only halfway through. Uh, but um, but what's actually really good about what's really good about it is that there's actually market commentary by Jason Zweig, uh, who's yeah. I think he's I think he's like a Harvard finance dude, uh, but he provides commentary uh, on each of the chapters, so he kind of like summarizes stuff and adds his own spin on things. And he wrote that just after the dot com bubble bursting. So there's oh, wow. so there's like a couple of really interesting times where stuff's being talked about and. Um, yeah, so so yeah. It, whereas if you haven't read it, maybe maybe, maybe pick it up. But it's uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, just out of interest, talking about the dot com bubble. Will I'm quite interested here. What's your opinion on the current market? Do you feel like a crash is imminent, or you know, we're due for a massive crash? Or um, so I mean, from from like a forward price earnings perspective, I mm. feel like the uh, the US market is is quite overvalued uh, compared to say the UK and Europe. Um, but to be honest, Josh, I actually try not to lose too much sleep in, try, in trying to decide what the correct valuation is for the, for the market. I, I, I mean, if you go throughout history, there'll be times where people are like, oh, we're in a bubble, we're in a bubble, we're in a bubble. And the market, yeah, it might've gone down, but it's, it's subsequently rebounded. So I, I, I try not to think too deeply about these things because it might just be a lot of energy wasted because but, but yeah, as I said, as I said before, the, the US market does look overvalued. I think that there mm-hmm. probably are, I think there are pockets of value in the UK to be had. Um, I think a lot of large UK cap is quite unloved at the moment. Um, oh, absolutely. Just, I mean, so I'm not sure if you guys are like looking at like ESG investing, but the UK, the UK FTSE 100 isn't particularly strong on that front. You know, there's like loads of sort of oil and gas companies farmer um, and stuff and, and I just don't think capital flows are, are going towards those sort of assets at the moment uh, and um, and I mean obviously uh, income yields aren't set in stone but I mean like the, the, the dividend yield for like I think it's British American tobacco is like 7% and uh, they're probably not going they're probably not going to zero anytime soon but I don't know it's just it's just interesting and I feel like for you guys as value investors yeah there are pockets of value to, to be had um, absolutely Going, going across to China, it's, it's been interesting to see the sell-off that's happened recently. Um, 
Wes, uh, don't you own Alibaba? I mean, we talked like we talked like this in the DMs uh, like last week or something. But like yeah. reading about the reading about the disappearance of Jack Ma was was quite eye opening, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, with the whole uh, China stuff and Alibaba, I'm not really concerned because um, think about it. I don't think China are that like stupid to like um, ruin their golden goose, as Monish Prabai says, like Alibaba is pretty much China. And if they, and they want to compete with like America, like the American fang stock. So their best bet is to um, have Alibaba, Baidu and Tencent like be there. And if they just deliberately like ruin their business, um, it's going to be hard really. So I'm not really, it's just, I think it's an overreaction more. So I'm not like worried now. Like this, the stock could fall more, really, and I'll just keep buying. I love that. That's so ballsy. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, um, Josh? How do you feel about the um, Alibaba and whole like situation with China? I mean, obviously, like I think my portfolio is sixty-eight percent Alibaba, so I'm. <laughs> I'm playing a really ballsy game. I have a lot of faith, and like. Um, where said, you know, Alibaba is a massive form of Chinese influence and soft power for China. You know, one of the most things the United States is most famous for is its corporations. You know, the biggest companies in the world are American, but now a lot of them are becoming Chinese. Now, Alibaba is a massive sphere of influence and it's going beyond the borders of the People's Republic of China now. And we're seeing that. Um, I think... The Olympics, they used Alibaba Cloud, I believe. Um, you know, if you went and watched the Euros, you saw, um, is it Alipay? Yeah, Alipay. Yeah, it was Alipay, yeah. Alipay, you know, advertised all around. And we're sort of starting to see, you know, Chinese companies sort of take an American influence. And this can be scary, I think, for China, since, you know, it wants to create a kind of state capitalist approach that isn't like the United States. But at the same time, I think if they you know, restrict these companies so much, they're only going to hurt the CCP and China's influence in the future. So, you know, I'm not too concerned, to be honest. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I think I think it's... Um, you don't want to get too attached to a chief executive of a company or a co-founder or whatever. Because, I, I mean, it's probably 10 years ago now, but when, when Steve Jobs died, the, mm. the Apple founder... Mm. The, the stock went down quite a lot. I can't remember the percentages, but you know, if you imagine if you bought Apple in 2011, like mm. <laughs> you'd be rolling in it, you know? So, so uh, I, I think, yeah, I, I think people have the tendencies to latch onto stuff that doesn't really matter. And that ultimately you just need yeah. to go back to the story of the company that, and the, and the, and the, the balance sheets and cash flow. Yeah. Like, what you guys That's do. true. I mean, I, I look at the balance sheet and, the revenue just going up while the stock's going down. So there's obviously something that doesn't make sense and the business is growing. So as long as the fundamentals stay the same, I'm not really too fussed. And for me at the moment, I own three Chinese stocks. So I own Alibaba, Tencent and Baidu right at the minute. And recently I bought a South Korean stock. Um, it's called um, Gravity Co. So it's a gaming company. And I think, I think the 
at the moment, I think two, three months ago, they were like 300 a share, and now they're around 92 a share. So that's a huge drop in price. And I think it's probably the cheapest gaming stock on the market. And I'm a big gamer. So, yeah, <laughs> it fits me pr- pretty pretty much. Yeah. And so so what one thing that I'm quite interested to hear uh, your opinions on is exit strategies, because a lot of people in the in the sort of personal finance community just looking to invest their money the the narrative is buy index funds and do nothing right mm-hmm. and i guess with index funds they're constantly being rebalanced to you know new, new companies come in the laggards move out and sort of the cycle continues and it's very much buy and hold but with but with equity investing and what you guys are doing there must there must be points in time where the share price starts to increase and you're thinking, oh, actually, should I, should I exit the position? Like, would you have any kind of framework to use to decide when is the right time to sell? Um, for me, um, I just look at the company's intrinsic value. If, if it, when it reaches its intrinsic value, um, I analyze the stock again and see where the, um, the price is. If it's like extremely overvalued, I'll probably just exit the position completely. If the, Fundamentals are still the same. Um, I'll probably just trim it down a little bit and just go from there. But um, I think you just have to know the intrinsic value, really. Like, or and what is intrinsic value? Like, what, like, what is that? Because that that can't be quantified. It's not a tick. It's not. It's not flickering every day. Uh, so intrinsic value is just how much the asset is actually worth when you conduct its like analysis. So yeah, that's pretty much it, really. Like, how much it's actually worth. Like, like net assets. Like, yeah, like yeah. how much a particular stock is actually worth in the future if you were to buy it like right now. But yeah, and then I'll usually compare the intrinsic value to the current price. And if the stock is um, severe, I'll give you an example. So at the minute, um, let's take Tesla. I was looking at it the other day. So I think... Um, I think it's intrinsic values around 300 a share. So, and its current stock price is what? Like, like 700 eight. something. Yeah, so yeah. there's a problem there. So if I actually own Tesla, I'll probably look to exit the, the position or trim it down a bit and just take a bit of cash and just have a bit of side just for play money or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. But it's important to know the intrinsic value, which is how much the stock is worth, or else you're going to be stuck on when to sell and you might just lose everything. Yeah. And uh, jo- Josh, what about you? What's your approach to exit? So I think one thing I want to talk about is quickly is a lot of people have like a price target is when they want to exit. Now, personally, I hate this sort of like rigid approach because fundamentals are changing all the time, yeah. you know, take Evergrade for example you know you know you might have had a price target for that but (laughs) um, it's definitely not going to be met now but you know I'm constantly analysing fundamentals Um, personally my exit strategy it's not as efficient as I want it to be um, as I'm literally just manually looking at the numbers are they still good keeping up with the news and I think that's a key thing as well, because I own so few stocks. What it allows me to do is I can keep up the news with Intel, Baidu and Anibaba very, very easily, as opposed to having like 30 stocks. So my exit strategy, 
it doesn't have to be so complex at the current point in time. Um, if I have more companies, then I might have to formulate something a bit more efficient. But for the current time, I kind of wing it, which isn't great. But I will obviously still look at the numbers, making sure the numbers are still there. And as Wes said, the fundamentals are still there. Yeah, for me, I normally um, reevaluate my stocks every quarter. So when new quarter results come in, I'll just put it in my in my calculator and just see where the business is at really and that's pretty much it and also i also own intel and baidu and what's the what's the other one alibaba alibaba so yeah so me and josh have a similar like way when we see value really yeah mm-hmm. um and so obviously with with keeping up with all the information all the all the quarterly reports that companies announce. Um, do you use any particular data sources to keep on top of this? Or do you, do you use multiple things? Do you, do you have any, any thoughts on that? So I actually, so have you heard of like Y charts? No, I haven't. Why, so why, why for Yankee? Yeah, Y charts. So I don't personally use that, but I use a, um, a software which is similar. It's actually a um, software that's actually made by a YouTube channel called Everything Money which Wes actually suggested to me and is absolutely phenomenal. Everything money, did you say? Everything money is absolutely phenomenal. So I pay about £19 per month and what that allows me to do is sort of see all the data, etc. You could also, I did also previously use um, oh, Yahoo Finance, mm. but I much prefer this. Um, so this this everything so is that it's the website so if i type www.everything.com whatever it would come up absolutely yeah yeah and they also have a youtube channel as well and i highly if you want to get into investing i highly recommend um you just watch everything money and just follow how they invest really in terms of like the process they have to go through to buy stocks because um that's how I really got into value investing, really. So I found them by accident kind of thing. So I was looking, I just typed in on Google Sprouts Farmers Market um, stock analysis because I just wanted to see what other people thought about the stock at the time before I buy. And they came up as one of the first results. And when they were just breaking it down in terms of like financial, going deep into the into the fundamentals, it just clicked with me. And yeah, and I still own Sprouts Farmers Market today, and I plan to hold it for a while. So, yeah, if you're getting into investing, I highly suggest you just watch everything money and just learn, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely gonna check that out because I must say I haven't heard of I haven't heard of everything money. So, mm. um, I mean, I know I I think I'm I'm active enough in the market to mm. you know decide to take positions in in stocks. It probably won't be for my entire portfolio, but for definitely for a portion of it. So yeah, that'll 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 be something for me to consider. But yeah, th- thanks for thanks for telling me where data sources from because I mean I'm sure there's no conflicts of interest here. I'm sh- I'd like I, I doubt you're sponsored or anything by them. Or, no, no. Or, or, or maybe you should uh, maybe you should uh, disclose your conflicts of interest. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I mean they've just got everything on like their website really like you can just analyze stocks you can they've got like a they've got like a template you know when you work out the value of a business when you want to value it they've got that on there so it's called a stock analyzer tool so you just 
plug in your assumptions on a business so and it will tell you how much you should be paying for a stock and then you can obviously after that go and do your research on the company and uh, i find it useful having everything in one place so i don't have to go to different places at once but yes yeah, been helpful for me really i pay the same as as josh 19 pound a month and so in terms of your investing journey has there ever been a time where you thought maybe i've got this wrong and you've actually had to you know uh almost re review your investment thesis and actually accept that you were wrong or is that are you yet to come come across those challenging times because i guess as a value investor it's all well and good saying you're going to buy the dip, but it's just when it keeps yeah. on dipping. Like when when do you actually think maybe my maybe my thesis is incorrect? Uh, so far, I've not come across where I think I might be wrong, but there will probably be a time where I am wrong, and I would have to like hold my hands up. This is a bad investment, like, and just move on. Like I feel when it comes to investing, like a lot of people find it difficult to sell a stock when when it's obvious that it's a bad investment and I feel the most important thing to do is just cut your losses and move on and just learn from your mistakes really and you just just learn and become a better investor that way but so far I haven't come across that but I'm pretty sure I will in the future but yeah what about you um, Josh? So personally yeah like if you look at Alibaba my position has come you know quite large as a result of the dip and as it dips i did you know buy more <laughs> and you know i'm just sort of st obviously i'm going to doubt myself um there's no doubt about that um and i constantly doubt you know have i made the right decision you know is the ccp you know can be far more influential than i originally realized you know i'm looking at evergrades and you know like shit you know so it's all a bit stressful but you know you just got well personally at the moment, I haven't had that time when I'm like, yeah, I'm wrong. But you never know. Like, Evergrade might crash and there might be a financial crisis in China. I might be like, oh, shit, actually. But, yeah. no, I've just tried to stay quite bold. But what's fortunate is because I'm only 22, I can be bold in that sense. You know, I can take upon that risk. And throughout my life, it's not going to be that much of a financial burden. If Alibaba crashes, you know, I'll recover in the end. But, you know, that's what's quite nice about, you know, investing when I'm young. You know, I can take that risk. I completely agree. I think, I think investing for young people is actually quite straightforward because mm. your risk tolerance can actually be, your willingness and ability to take risk and can, yeah. be, can be high enough to, to warrant a, a full position in equities. And, and yeah, so from my perspective, I'm 98% I'm 90, 98, 98 equities, 2% crypto. So, um, so, yeah, so that, that's kind of where I'm at. But... Um, I think I think investing gets a lot more difficult as you approach retirement and you're starting starting to search your income, you're starting to look to minimise portfolio volatility because you're withdrawing, you know, at regular intervals. Um, Absolutely. But 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 right, I think you know, for me, I'm 25. You know, um, you know, it'll be. I think it's fairly straightforward. Like I don't have a mortgage, I don't have kids or anything. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what's what's your situation like, Wes? What what, what are your thoughts? I mean. Um, can you sorry? Can you what's the question? Just, just in terms of um, what are your thoughts on your ability to take risk and you know and and how that will change you know throughout throughout your life as an investor. Um, I feel my 
risk and risk tolerance have gone up slightly a bit. So I never thought I'd own twenty something percent in Alibaba. So yeah, I mean, it's something I could handle now. It takes a lot of discipline and just understand, like understand, like this is all over overreaction. But yeah, I think I will cope if Alibaba was to fall to zero or whatever. But I'll recover in the end, as um, just said. Yeah. Well, let's hope so, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. Um, just, just something for me as well. Uh, so I guess a lot of people out there will be saying, why are you trying to pick individual stocks when, when institutional fund managers that are well-qualified, well in inverted commas, um, you know, fail to outperform the market? What, what, is your, what is your rebuttal to that, Mark? What would you say to those people? So the big thing I have against mutual funds is particularly, you know, um, expense ratios. So when you look at like ARK Invest, I can't remember. It's either 0.5% or like 0.75%. Yeah, I was going to say 75 bips, I think. I want to say that. Yeah, it's high. But when you compound that over 30 years, that's a big chunk of money. and, you know, efficient market hypothesis is going to be there. And, you know, I always used to be like, yeah, I'm just going to invest most of my money in index funds. But like I said, I'm young. I want to be a bit ballsy, see if I can beat it over the long term. If I don't, I'm happy to admit it got me. I'll just invest in index funds. Um, but I think it's difficult. You know, you would, do you know um, Fidelity? Yeah. Oh, who was the fund manager at Fidelity? Uh, um, Peter Lynch. That's it. You know, he had that 15-year period and it was absolutely mental and his returns were incredible. And then, do you know reversion to the mean? Mm. So, you know, eventually that kicked in and then when he left, returns started to diminish and, you know, the money just came away. Nothing lasts forever in investing and that's the yeah. issue, and especially with fund managers. I, I think... I think... So there's a key difference, a key advantage that individual investors have, like me and you, is that we can control capital inflows, uh, and we can control like when you know when we um, also pay pay individuals out when they sell. Like, let let me kind of rephrase. So, in a fund manager, they might need to pay out X amount to investors, so they need to sell their shares, and they might be selling shares at a suboptimal time. Whereas mm. for us, we know exact we we have we we have so much autonomy over of our money and we can make decisions at any, t- at any time we want really. Whereas fund managers, they're like, well, we should probably try and increase assets and management because at the end of the day, that'll, that'll decide our, how big our bonuses are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and that's it completely. Like, I don't know, but personally, like I've been reading um, the little book of common sense investing by um oh what's his name i think i've read that as well the guy that invented um like in passive oh, investing uh, john john bogle yeah so and um you know i've been reading through that and like mutual funds just don't seem appealing to me at all and like it's trying to choose the right one you know the chance of choosing one that's going to outperform the market over a 20-year period is yeah Sorry, uh, yeah. 
I know I, I completely agree. And the thing is, is that investors, a lot of investors are stupid and they're like, oh, that fund's done really well. So there's massive capital inflows into that fund. The fund manager's like, oh, what do, what do I do with all this money? And then they just allocate it into suboptimal stuff. And then their process. Ark Invest. Ark Invest. Is that, yeah. no, wonder, no wonder Kathy Wood's saying Bitcoin's got a target price of $500,000. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like... You've got a massive <laughs> conflict of interest there. But do you know what's mad? I saw um, Ark Invest. So it was a space ETF. And then inside the space ETF, I think 4 or 5% of it was another ARC ETF. It was like the um, 3D printing um, ARC ETF was within the space ETF. And I was just like, you know, <laughs> you're just getting mugged off at this point. Like, yeah. Do you own any ARC, um, Will? No, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't touch up with the barge pole. No. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah. You're gone. I was just going to say, I mean, I will say that I, I probably have too much growth orientated stuff. I mean, yeah. a key holding I have that's done really well over the past couple of years is Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's returned uh, about 200% since uh, it must have been Q2 2018. They're pretty, mm -hmm. pretty decent. Um, but but they, they've just been like, they're like, they're so, they were so bullish on Tesla for ages when that was going up. Um, mm -hmm. They've got a big position on Moderna. I think they have a tiny position in SpaceX, so they're just very like growth orientated. I have no yeah. idea if it's going to blow up, but I do like I do like investment trusts as, as investment vehicles uh, over mm. over mutual funds, um, and I just think I just think I also I quite like Bailey Gifford as a manager as well. Um, you know, based based in Scotland, etc. So I know I think I think we'll just hold it for the time being. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna increase my allocations though to any actively managed funds anytime soon, just because of what we've talked about. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, um, yeah. What, what are you going to say, Wes? Yeah, I was just going to say there's a lot of people that um, like Arc, and I've looked into it. Um, I don't know how to justify it really, in terms of like it's holding. It's very, very difficult. Like I, I think like only five make money. So yeah, that just speaks for itself, really. It's a extremely expensive poor portfolio in terms of what's inside and. I think I did a post about it, really comparing it to, to something. I think I compared it to Apple, maybe, and Apple alone just makes so much more money than its top thirty holding. So, yeah, it's just, it's yeah. it's just I don't understand it to be honest. Like, yeah, I I mean, the, yeah, like because the prob the probability of picking a really good manager is so low, you may as well mm -hmm. just back yourself. Yeah, exactly. yeah, but I feel if there was a crash or whatever, something, I think Apple crashed. It's just too expensive. I think they have like Tesla, they have like Teladoc, all these like really high valued stocks. So I think they're just going to bring the whole portfolio down. And yeah. And I feel with the shares outstanding as well, you know, they're diluting their shareholders so, so much. Like, the companies within Arc, um, Arc Invest, such as like you know Tesla, um, I think Teladoc did for a bit. Extremely, they're like two hundred percent like plus added shares on the market. Exactly, which and is just several, insane. There's several other companies, but you know, it's just crazy. The companies and like these growth stocks and how much they mug off their investors is. Mm. I think this is. A, 
Sorry. Sorry, do you want to just go over that point you made about uh, shared dilution? I just think that'd be good if you just went over that point a bit. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So essentially, so if you owned like a um, pie between you, and well, you own ten percent of this pie, and then try to think. But ignore that part. All right. Okay. So like, if there's ten shares in the company, and you own one of those shares, you own ten percent of the company. But then they might produce another 10 shares and then your ownership of the company has gone from 10% to 5%. So, you know, they're diluting you as a shareholder. So, you know, that's such, such a big loss on your overall gains. And then there's mm -hmm. companies like Intel, Oracle, um, I believe Lockheed Martin, and they actually buy back shares. So rather than sort of diluting you, you know, they're increasing your concentration of ownership within the company you know, have a greater ownership of the company. If the company goes up more, you know, you benefit as a result. And I think that's a big difference when looking at the companies, you know, how are these companies treating their shareholders? You know, are they sort of diluting them or are they giving them perks in that sense? Exactly. Um, if a company dilutes you, then it just affects you in the long run. It means you won't get the return on your investment that you expected and you just own less of the company where if, if they're buying back shares, you get more ownership of the company, you might get better um, returns on your investment and it just means like they care about your shareholder really. And I think shares outstanding really is underlooked by many investors. I don't think anyone like, has ever asked me like, what is the shares outstanding of the company? So yeah i think as me and josh call it we call it the silent killers for investors shares outstanding mm. interesting yeah were you aware of that i presume well i mean i've heard i've heard of the concept of shares outstanding but i've never really sort of done a deep dive in terms of how that can affect return on investment yeah. i mean so i'm a bit i'm a bit confused because i know there there is aren't there rules in place to ensure that your equity stake is maintained um yeah I'm, I'm just not quite sh not quite sure on that like the company surely will have to go through a process to sign that off to to raise new share capital from its current shareholders i yeah i'm just not quite sure on that i'm not sure on the laws and to be honest i'm not sure roughly how the maths works exactly like yeah. so i know you're getting diluted but why is that diminish your returns exactly but it's awkward to sort of like yeah. explain because because i know um with like rights issues if if i think it's a rights issue where if a company uh, wants to increase their share capital current shareholders have the right to uh, to get new shares at a certain price to maintain their stake so mm. yeah I, I think i think it depends on the situation so but but yeah um, i'm definitely gonna look into this uh yeah, in, in the next week or so because i think Absolutely. It's, really, it's a really important thing to consider. You don't, you don't want to get mugged off by the silent killer, as, as Wes says. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know how it works exactly, because there may be an argument saying, well, we are diluting shareholders, but with the capital we gain from that, you know, we're reinvesting it into the company and we're going to increase our growth for the shareholders. So even though they're diluting, they're going to experience more growth for their shares. So mm. whether that's an argument or something, mm. a loophole, I don't know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there there are um, exceptions when a company dilutes, like yeah, when if they need money for an acquisition, like if it's just a one-time thing, then that's fine. Like they'll probably buy it back in the future. That's when it's acceptable. But when it's on a consistent basis, then that's where there's a problem. Mm. Yeah.
Yeah. Cool. And um, in, ter in terms of you guys personally, um, obviously we've all met on Instagram, which is, which has been, which has been great. It's a good, it's been awesome that social media has sort of facilitated this, but it would be great if you guys could just talk a little bit about, you know, your channel and, and the future of, of those respective channels. That'd be, that'd be really interesting to hear. Um, yes. Yeah, so unfortunately I haven't been able to give my um, page the attention it deserves with university. Um, and a few other things going on, you know, I haven't been able to focus on my page and plus my growth hasn't been particularly great. Um, my main thing is I want to focus on quality, not quantity, which obviously the algorithm on Instagram does not favor at all. Um, unfortunately, um, I'm just sort of going to passively manage it at the moment, see where it goes. I'd love to, you know, create my own YouTube channel eventually, you know, focusing on value investing and potentially sort of delve with it diving into sort of the politics and the economics of investing, you know, why things matter, such as the CCP, et cetera, and how that can affect your returns in the stock market. Because I feel that's something that a lot of investors don't really take into account. Um, but no, I'm not too focused on that at the moment, but I'd love to sort of put more effort into it in the near future. Yeah, um, for me, I'm just going to keep producing the same content. Um, I've been doing this for an nearly two months now so I've seen some really good growth over that time and hopefully I could keep producing the same content and I wouldn't mind doing a YouTube on the side hopefully in the near future but at the minute it's just the Instagram thing. Yeah well I'd, I'd say that both of your accounts are awesome and you've got some really really good detail on there uh, and I, I'm genuinely saying this um, you know from my heart here because there's a lot of there's a lot of samey stuff out there in terms of just like buying index funds and talking about the power of compound interest but you guys actually have some really really sort of good well thought through stuff so um yeah keep it up um in, in terms of in terms of um how like, anyone could get in contact with you like obviously there's the instagram accounts for dms and things is, is there any of the other means of getting in contact with you that, that you that you uh, have like emails or something uh, not at this current point of time. Uh, my emails are currently spammed with subway offers and stuff like that. So I don't think I could be able to keep an <laughs> account of any more emails. Um, so no, yeah. my Instagram is fully available for anyone. Cool. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm the same. So my Instagram, investing with Wes, is available. If you have any questions, just ask me, really. I pretty much reply. I reply to everyone, and I'm just here to help, really. That's all. Yeah, I think we're all here and to help. Yeah. Will, sort of aside from like my clinical finance and Wes's um, investing in Wes, what do you see with your page in the yeah. future? Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned before, I'm really passionate about demystifying investing for young people. Um, so, I wouldn't say I'm as, as sort of granular as you are in terms of looking at the fundamentals <clears throat> of companies, although that is something I, I might look to in the future. I'm just, <clears throat> I'm just more interested in just empowering people with the basic tools to, um, you know, get money in the market, talk about investment philosophy as well, which I'm, I'm very passionate about. So re reading, reading about different investors and their, their take on things. Um, and I'm also quite um, sort of passionate about, yeah, trying to get people to basically just avoid investment blunders, minimize fees, you know, get the most out of your investment platforms and things like that. Um, 
So I don't really have a don't really have a clear line of action, but as long as I can, you know, keep up keep up the quality and you know try and get try and get a bit more of a following, then that's all that really matters. Um, mm. But but yeah, again, I I really like doing this Make It Stack podcast, just chatting to you guys. It's really eye opening, mm. and you guys definitely have have a good take on things, and I've definitely learned learned stuff today. So um, thanks so much for for your time. No, thank you. Yeah, no worries. Anytime, really. Um, I'm happy to come on anytime. It's, yeah. it's been fun. It's been fun. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, um, as I say, yeah, it's been awesome having you on. And uh, yeah, b- best of luck with, with the content creation and, and the university <laughs> studies, Josh. <laughs> Thank you. I'll need it. Yeah, yeah thanks. thanks. Cheers, pal. <laughs> Cheers, guys. See you in a bit. Take bye. care. Bye bye. All right, then, bye.